Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by co-founder of The Lincoln Project, host of LPTV's The Breakdown, back after Labor Day, and author of Everything Trump Touches Dies, Rick Wilson. Hey, Reed. And also on the show today is Peter Schorsch. Peter is the president of Extensive Enterprises Media and is the publisher and executive editor of FloridaPolitics.com, Influence Magazine, a suite of podcasts and email newsletters, including Sunbird, the morning read of what's hot in Florida politics. In addition to publishing work, Peter is a political consultant to numerous elected officials, as well as to some of the state's largest companies, governmental affairs, and public relations firms. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So look, I've got two Florida men on the show today, so I want to talk about all things Sunshine State. Rob, maybe we'll have to call this episode The Sunshine Show. (laughs) But as sunny as it may be where you all are right now, Peter, it looks as if there are some clouds forming over Governor Ron DeSantis, mostly of his own making. And so before we started recording, we were talking and I was just looking at what we see vis-a-vis COVID and the Delta variant and how you noted that last year he said that the state had come through it. This is having an impact on schools, these crazy school board fights over masks, whether or not to get vaccinated to prevent a bad outcome with Delta or to wait around a library for a monoclonal antibody treatment, fights with Disney and the cruise lines, sinking poll numbers. What's going on down there? I mean, I know it's Florida, so everybody listening is going to take that with a grain of salt, maybe a shaker of salt. You do this all day, every day. What's going on down there? It's almost like a low-grade civil war, and I don't mean to overstate that, but it is a nonviolent civil war where kind of the worst of Trumpism in terms of governance is going up against progressives, media, and a lot of scared shitless Floridians who they see the numbers every day. Parents, et cetera, we're losing about 200 people a day. The ICUs are at 94% capacity. There doesn't seem to be any end in sight other than the forest fire just burning out. And so you put that all together and you have a governor who is literally putting out beer koozies that say, don't Fauci my Florida and has embraced a libertarianism, preventing really any level of government from responding, whether it be a city and county, a school board, Democratic legislators, et cetera. And what's really interesting as we speak right now is you're starting to see the seeds of a rebellion. And you're starting to see we're up to now 10 school boards who are pushing back against the governor's anti-mask for students' mandates. You are seeing the cruise lines like Disney yesterday because of some rulings by the Bahamian government saying we actually need vaccine passports. You are seeing city leaders, county officials in South Florida primarily, but also in the big cities like Orlando, St. Petersburg, Tampa, et cetera, say that we've got to do mandatory vaccinations of our city workers, et cetera. As a guy who runs a site called FloridaPolitics.com, it is nonstop. I'm drinking from multiple fire hoses all at once. And the backdrop to all of this is a person who wants to be reelected in 2022 so that he can immediately start campaigning for president in the 2024 race. But Rick, let me ask you this, because we spent a lot of time in Republican politics and there was a streak of, you know, what Peter called libertarianism, right, which was the smallest government is the best government. Remember, it used to be a tenet of Republican politics that, you know, local control was the best control from the federal government. It was the 10th Amendment. And at the state level, it was everything that can be local should be local. But it feels like that libertarianism quickly switched over to nihilism, which is I don't care about anything 
I have no ideology other than my own future, as Peter described it. What Peter's talking about here with Ron DeSantis is the worst kept secret in American politics. He has decided, and by the way, folks, to a degree, Rupert Murdoch has decided that Ron DeSantis is the next Republican superstar and he is going to run for president. His team is building everything they do around a run for president. And they're using the sort of new Trumpish philosophy of be the maximum asshole all the time, no matter what it costs the people of Florida. He's going to pretend that what he's doing is the only way that we can go forward. And he doesn't care about any of the old tenets of the Republican Party, like limited government or following the law or the Constitution. He's a perfect apotheosis of what the GOP is today. And like everywhere else, you know, Florida always kind of leads the way. When the country gets a cold, Florida gets Ebola. As the candidate Florida man, he's the anti-Jeb in every possible way. He would take that as a compliment. I do not mean it as such. He's a conservative superstar in social media. And you see the rule book they're following, like his press secretary, this Pulsha woman, is engaged in just pure Trumpish dickweed trolling as a form of governance. Well, and Peter, you were noting that this press secretary, she got into a fight with the AP. DeSantis, the governor, called out the Associated Press. They pushed back. Now they're in a fight. But let me ask you this. At what point do you think Floridians, even in places that are more red or conservative are going to start saying, I got to put my kid's safety over this guy's ambition. I got to put my job over this guy's ambition. When is corporate Florida, when is tourism Florida going to say, I'm not letting 60,000 people a day through my gates without a vaccine. I'm not going to allow my amusement park, my hotel or whatever to become a walking super spreader event. I think we are looking at that literally right now. And I think that that's what's so fascinating about it. You know, the 800-pound gorilla of Florida politics is Disney. You know, in Florida, I said something to somebody today, the Disney Florida is going to become a lot more like Disney California. You know, Disney California is kind of a progressive, forward-thinking organization. Disney Florida has always been like a Main Street Chamber of commerce organization. And I'm telling you, like right now, you know, talking to their lobby corps, talking to their people, they are not excited about this. They can't sustain another year of the park going dark. And so you're starting to see that. You're starting to see some of the hotel organizations, Marriott, et cetera, start to implement kind of like backdoor vaccine passports. You're seeing the restaurant industry in Florida. It's just decimated. There was some reporting yesterday about how much aid the restaurants in Florida still need. And so I think you're starting to see that. You're seeing, you know, every day there is a, a new story about a school board and just for the audience here, Ron DeSantis and his commissioner of education have put through emergency orders through the Department of Health saying that the school boards cannot mandate mask wearing in school. And to do so, they have threatened to take away the salaries of superintendents and school boards. And yet, I think kind of courageously, 10 school boards, including the six biggest in Florida, have now said we are going to have a mask mandate. And so if you go to school in Miami-Dade, Palm Beach, in Leon County, in Hillsborough, the students are required to wear masks. And that is going to come to a very big showdown. There is a court case going on as we speak. You know, all the Star Wars bar scene doctors that DeSantis listens to, they're testifying in it. And so with the kids in the balance, where the children are starting to show up in our ICUs, and you're seeing the polling numbers, you're starting to see Ron DeSantis if he's not underwater, he is nowhere near where he was a year ago when he had 66% approval rating and he was on his way to the races. 
So let me ask you this, guys. So, I mean, you know, Peter, from both the political and the economic perspective, and Rick's more from the political side, you know, I haven't talked to anybody in Florida about this specifically, but you all probably have about people who worked in offices or ran offices. Everybody's going to be back by Labor Day. A lot of that stuff's being pushed off, be later in the year, maybe it'll be early next year. And that, of course, has a cascading effect on do they even continue to pay their rent on that space? They're not going to get sandwiches. They're not going to get coffee. They're not having a drink after work, all these other things, right, that have these trickle down effects on predominantly small businesses, but maybe some chains too. And this is also going to affect, we were having a conversation with the group last week about if there are places where kids can't go back to school. As I understand it, there's not a really broad-based online schooling option this year. And even if there was, if you're a working class parent, it's not like you can probably leave one parent at home to ensure that that kid's getting educated. So it just seems that they're just ripping at the fabric, the societal fabric of every demographic in the state. No, you're exactly right at this point. Ron DeSantis was set up to be, I mean, he was pulling ahead of Donald Trump in some of the straw polls. And I think right now, much to your all's chagrin, you can start to see Trump has reemerged, I think, as the leading candidate for the Republicans. And remember, that dynamic is fascinating, too. I've heard firsthand accounts of Trump criticizing DeSantis for his weight, and then lo and behold, DeSantis drops 20 pounds. Oh, I mean, the story I heard, and I'm not joking about this, was Trump saw him on TV and said fatty, and that got back to the governor. And that's why you see Ron DeSantis wearing kind of like ill-fitting suits. You can tell that they were cut for a man that was 25 pounds heavier. You think about the fact that DeSantis's campaign manager, Susie Wiles, is now the aide-de-camp down at Mar-a-Lago, and they exiled Susie Wiles. Like, they ran her through the grinder. But so she's down there now. She's the person, when those statements show up in our email boxes that would have gone on Twitter a year and a half ago, she's the gatekeeper of that, you know? And so that sets up all sorts of conflict between Trump world and DeSantis world going into 2023-24. Now, somebody told me, Peter, and I have not run this down yet, is Parscale working for DeSantis? I will say I'm in the same situation. I've heard that. I think one of the things... Rick, that is absolutely going on is you have so many people throwing their services at the DeSantis's right now in the hopes of getting that 2023-24 work. And I don't know if you're aware of this, Reed, but Ron DeSantis doesn't have any people. You are talking about one of the most disloyal political figures that I've ever run across. So much so there was that topper in Politico talking about there is an ex-DeSantis support group and the way, I kid you not, the way they got DeSantis to come to meetings was to say that there were cupcakes. But there are no DeSantis people. There are no people that have worked for him for eight years and are still in the orbit. Well, who does that sound like? <laughs> exactly. And so I think the people like Pascal, I think you'll see a lot of those people try and angle their way into DeSantis world, which I think it's also important to note as you're trying to fill in the what we're dealing with here. We really do have a Macbeth situation. And I think my sources inside the governor's office, governor's world are really good. I used to think that Casey DeSantis was the better angel for Ron DeSantis, that when she would show up, he would moderate down. But the more reporting I do on this, it appears like she is a Lady Macbeth character. She is the one who has empowered this Christina Pushow. She is basically the de facto campaign manager right now. 
And I think that she plays to a lot of DeSantis's base Fox News instincts. Casey DeSantis is the last person in the room, literally, with this guy. And the first person in the room every morning. Yeah, exactly. There was a period in the beginning of his administration where they were kind of signaling, you know, kinder, gentler, a little more centrist, you know, a smart Florida style Republican. Da, 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 da. But now it seems like she's like feet first on full Trumpism. So, Peter, let me ask you this. So we spent the last couple of minutes talking about 2023 and 2024, but he hadn't gotten through 2022 yet. He hasn't even gotten through the primary of 2022 yet. Now, I'm not saying that there's anybody out there that could necessarily beat him in a primary. But before we started recording, you talked about how in 2017, 2018, Adam Putnam was the odds on favorite. He was the establishment favorite, and he was going to be the next sort of Jeb Bush style Republican governor of Florida. Why should we believe that there isn't somebody who could be even wackier than DeSantis who just decides to jump up and take a shot at him? I mean, it's a year to the primary. I would say if you've got $100, you know, find a, a sports book and bet the long shot in Florida. And we've seen this. Rick has seen this. You know, 2010, Rick Scott comes through. I mean, and nobody saw that coming. You know, 2012 was chalk. Obama won. But again, Scott won in 14. Trump won here in 16, upsetting Jeb Bush in his home state early on. 2018, nobody had Gillum and DeSantis early on. And so, you know, 2020, I mean, again, I said at the beginning, 19 of the 20 polls showed Gillum winning on election day, and that didn't happen. So the last place you want to be in Florida politics is the favorite on day four of the course. I think the one thing DeSantis has going for him, and I think I want to hear what Rick has to say about it, Charlie Crist is probably the odds-on favorite to become the Democratic nominee. I love Charlie. My wife worked for Charlie as his special advisor. I just don't know that he can beat Ron DeSantis because there's just so many weird negatives still out there. Yeah, this is a point between Peter and I for a long time. I think Charlie is too weird to govern. He's a great candidate, or was, by the way. You know, it's been a long minute. There's been a lot of new people who moved to Florida since Charlie Crist held statewide office. And I know that doesn't seem logical, but the turnover here is so tremendous. Look, if I were the Democrats, I'd certainly want Nikki Freed, the current commissioner of agriculture, over Charlie because she's a woman. I think she's more agile. I think she's smarter about the modern politics. And folks, it's a red state. You know, it's a red state. People think Florida's a purple state. It, it may be at the presidential level, but look, Broward, Dade, and Palm Beach County comprise roughly 50% of the total vote. And that's not enough for Democrats to roll up the numbers statewide anymore. It's just not. So, Peter, just according to my Google machine, there are 21.6 million people in the state of Florida, but apparently only 22 of you have ever worked in its politics. So fascinating <laughs> by how a state that big uh, is managed by such a small coterie of people. So 200 people a day are dying in Florida right now, worse than last year at this time. Yes. Only state to be like that, by the way, where the spike is hit back a second time. Right. So it's 6,000 people a month. 6,000. We should assume that that number will go up, especially because football season, people are going to be out, whatever it is, right? The, the fall is sort of the time in American life where people get out, the school's back in, people are seeing each other again. So how long is DeSantis going to ride this? Is he going to ride this ship all the way to the bottom? Is he going to do the, you know, it'll magically disappear thing like Trump? I mean, specifically, and 
again, a little fascinating anecdote. One of the people that they have working in the governor's office was a former Uber driver, Kyle Lamb, no background in government, but he is who DeSantis looks to for statistics. And the thinking that they've had is that, well, Florida is going to be like the UK and the UK dropped off recently. And we think that we'll be okay by the middle of September, that we'll ride this out. We will lose another couple of thousand Floridians, but oh, well, and that will be like the UK. But if you look literally over the last couple of days, there's now a surge again in the UK. So there's been a little bit of panic in DeSantis world right now because they were looking for that as a way out. When you've got all of these kids interacting, I'm just looking right now at my computer screen, a second school in Duval, which is Jacksonville, our biggest city, is now going virtual. There's just so many COVID and corona cases in the school districts where there's not mask wearing. I don't know how we get through this other than the forest fire just burning out. And at that point, you have to say, how many people are willing to die here before DeSantis you know, radically changes his approach to this pandemic? Spoiler, all. He believes that if he walks back on this, that Fox News and Rupert will say, ah, he was weak after all. And it will turn into a thing that harms his image in the 2024 election. And again, do not underestimate his desire, A, for the highest of offices, and B, like how far he'll go to press his luck. He's been a lucky player over time, and he's going to press it, I think, as far as he possibly can. And he also believes that, you know, if he gets enough time on Fox, the short attention spans of Americans, you know, he'll go on Fox and talk about critical race theory, and that will distract people enough so he can move past the death toll. Well, again, Peter, as you noted before we started recording, the number of people who've died in Florida as a result of COVID has now exceeded the margin of victory he had in 2018, which is a morbid observation. But bottom line is he's going to kill a lot of his voters. He's going to sicken a lot of his voters. A lot of these folks, I mean, you know, I just saw the thing about, you know, the monoclonal antibody thing is now open in the villages. Well, if enough people in the villages get sick and make it there in time, right? I mean, these are not spring chickens. They go there because they're a bunch of old people or older people, right? And for the sex parties. <laughs> of course, because Florida. Yes. No, like there's great reporting about, I think the villages has the highest like STD rate. It does. Of course it, it does. It is a scene. The Villages Publix Pharmacy is the single highest per capita sales center for Viagra <laughs> in the country. True fact told to me by a Pfizer exec. Well, I mean, I guess correlation isn't causation, but in that case, it might be. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> you know, we had talked about Abbott and about Abbott kind of breaking a little bit. DeSantis is not breaking. Like, go on his Twitter feed right now. There has not been a mention in over 132 days on his social media that you should go and get vaccinated. And that, to me, is just such a stinging indictment of this guy that he won't just go and tell his people. And part of it is, if you look at some of the better complicated polling and the crosstabs in there, there was some reporting by Politico, I think about six weeks ago, you know, he does have a problem with anti-vaxxers and he is afraid of losing those people going into 24. And he's not at 89% amongst Republicans. He's about at about 83, 84. And a big part of that is because the anti-vaxxers think that he is too lenient about vaccine. They can't believe that he went and got it. But again, this is a person, he didn't get vaccinated in public. He pushes these things like the Regeneron, like the hydrochloroquine last year. That was his game changer. He does not use the full power of the governor's office to urge people to get vaccinated. 
Whereas other people eventually give up and change their course because of the Delta variant. This is a guy who continues to go on Sean Hannity as often as possible and just tack the completely opposite way. My theory is that whatever your worst outcome is that you're trying to avoid, you will take the actions to get yourself there. And that's what it seems to me DeSantis will end up with, which is tens of thousands more dead Floridians, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of kids in chaos vis-a-vis their school, tens of thousands of people losing jobs, restaurants closing, people getting evicted once a moratorium ends. You know, it's going to be a failed state as people start to look to where the hell am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Because he said, you know, as we talked about, Peter, you know, he has withheld SNAP benefits. They have not deployed a lot of this rental assistance. He really took a hard line on unemployment insurance, didn't deploy that further because he, quote, wanted things to get back to normal. Well, it sounds to me like things sure as shit aren't getting back to normal anytime soon (laughs) down there. No, they're not. And it's, you know, one of the things that I've said about this from day one is, you know, I think the Brookings Institute had a statistic that 71% of the wealth came from the 500 Biden counties. You can probably extrapolate some of that to Florida, that a lot of the wealth is in the coastal areas, South Florida, Pinellas, et cetera. You know, I'm not going on a Disney cruise and God knows I love, I have an eight and a half year old. You are like a Disney cruise super fan. I am. And your daughter is a Disney cruise super fan. I'm not going until you can have a vaccine passport. I'm not going out to eat until I know it is safe. And so he wants us to participate in this economy, but they won't do the things that we need to happen in order for us to feel safe. And so it's setting up this amazing culture war between the people that are vaccinated and have the disposable income to support a vibrant economy versus a Zoom economy. You know, DeSantis is very disdainful of what he calls the Zoom economy. At press conferences, he often makes fun of those people. This is a Harvard and Yale graduate making fun of people that are in middle management. And trust me, if you haven't heard that he's a Harvard and Yale graduate, just wait. He'll say it every 30 (laughs) seconds. Did you know I went to both Harvard and Yale? So, you know, I was having a conversation earlier today, guys, with some supporters of ours in Florida. You know, they're Democrats. And their opinion, one that I share, is that DeSantis seems to be able to speak to the MAGA folks in a way that like a Ted Cruz and a Hawley and a Cotton can't. They're all cut from the same sort of Ivy League elitist cloth. But it's like the MAGA folks know the rest of them are full of shit, but for some reason they believe DeSantis when he talks. What do you think that is? I think part of it's the Fox News training. One of the undersold values of Trump is that he sharpened his saw on a decade worth of New York tabloid business. The reason why Gates and DeSantis are so dangerous is they've had a lot of practice. Like there's other congressmen from here that say the same crap, like Greg Stubbe or Byron Donalds. But they just haven't practiced their craft enough. There was great reporting from the Tampa Bay Times about two weeks ago about the effort by the governor's office to get him placed on Fox News. He's just had so much more training at it. I think also, listen, he's married to a smoking hot former journalist. I think that he photographs well. He served in the military. Cute kids. He was a college athlete at Yale. He played baseball. So he's bringing a lot of attributes that, you know, a dork like Ted Cruz isn't bringing to the table. No. Well, Rick has a very famous saying. There are two kinds of people, Ted Cruz and people that hate Ted Cruz. So So, Peter, let me move to something that Rick and I have talked about, which is the most popular of all American pastimes and certainly popular in Florida, which is football. 
college football in particular. You got three big programs in the state, obviously Florida State, University of Florida, and Miami. The ACC commissioner and the SEC commissioner have already said this season, if you can't play because your team has COVID, you forfeit that game, right? Non-conference, conference. And as you know, maybe the SEC less so, but in the SEC, somebody forfeits a conference game. There's going to be a riot soon thereafter. What are the cultural things that are going to suffer in Florida, like football, whether or not that's high school football, college football, the pros, that Americans missed last year, that Floridians missed last year? They want back. They want that normalcy back. And a guy like DeSantis is single-handedly depriving them of it. My wife would be upset if I did not work in UCF, not as a big program, but they've had a nice run there. So I, I got to throw in UCF and she'll be very happy with that. You know, we keep moving the goalposts back on like holidays and things that we have to sacrifice because of COVID. And if you remember, this all started and Trump would talk about how we would get back into the beautiful pews and churches. And that was the Easter of 2020. And we lost all of that. And now we've lost back to school. It's like the next phenomenon that we have lost. And so now we are, will we lose football? And to your point about the SEC, Florida, you know, the rule's been in effect and Florida finished pretty well, but they would have had five losses. And listen, there's a lot of things you can get away with as governor of Florida. But if the University of Florida has five losses, there's going to be a lot of pissed off Gator fans on Sunday and Monday. And so right now it's, do we lose football in September, October? You know, you've got the Bucks here. You've got the Super Bowl champions here. You know, I live in a part of the world. Think about this. I have had three championships in the quickest time there's ever been three major sporting championships. Two Stanley Cup titles to the Lightning and the Super Bowl title to the Bucks. Basically, no one got to see those. And we also had a World Series appearance by the Tampa Bay Rays. That wasn't even played in our stadium. And so you start messing with sports in Florida. And I don't know that we can do another season of that. I really don't. Then you get into Halloween. I don't know what this country is going to be like. There's a great article in The Atlantic, I think, last night talking about how this could get worse. We're at Delta Plus right now. What happens when we get to, you know, Epsilon, Mu, Theta, et cetera, and you start canceling Christmas again? Like, I can't deal with that. I mean, I'm barely keeping it together now. Well, what happens when there is a Saturday at Dope Campbell in Tallahassee, when the Seminoles are playing, and you start to see a bunch of F DeSantis signs in the crowd? Gosh, I just don't know that you're going to be there yet. You know, I think Rick is right. It is just too red of a state still. I mean, I don't know that you're going to see that. If DeSantis loses, it'll be a sleeper attack. It will be somehow Christ or Freed are able to beat him very narrowly. And it will be because, God forbid, but we'll be at something like 60,000 deaths by November of 2022. It would have to be something horrible like that. But, I mean, let me ask you this. You know, there's the tourism industry. But, you know, you talk about the Zoom economy. Walmart wants people to come to its stores. Publix wants people to come to its stores. Amazon doesn't care. And so when do some of these, you know, non-tourism related employers say, hey, you got to get your act together here. When does the legislature, who I, I assume some of them are goofier than hell too, start to say, hey, Ron, you're killing my residents. You're killing the businesses in my district. Like we got to cut this shit out. You're not going to see it out of the Florida legislature, which is, put it this way, we met in special session last year, but that special session was to ratify a compact so that we could have slots and roulette at the Seminole Tribe Reservation. We did not meet in special session. We did not do anything 
really in response to the pandemic. So we're not going to see it from there. I will say this, the heroes of it have been the local officials. And you see that even out of the Republicans, the mayor of Jacksonville, Lenny Curry, he was actually the chair of the Florida GOP. Now he still is close with DeSantis, but he has broken with him several times because it's like, hey, it's my ambulances that are having to go to my hospitals that are backed up for hours. Look, I think DeSantis and the education commissioner, Richard Corcoran, both expected there would be a very fast break by these counties and that they would hear that, you know, the threat of, oh, we're going to take your salaries away or we're going to, you know, replace you. They thought they would do that to one or two counties and it would happen and they would break. Instead, counties are, are joining this mass movement every day. So, you know, if you're going to be oppressive, you better win the battle right off the top. You better scare somebody right off the top. They didn't do that or they couldn't do that. Because look, they're hearing from parents and teachers and it's not good. I spoke to somebody the other day who, you know, they're getting these notifications every day that their kids have been exposed to someone with COVID at school. And she said to me, look, after five times, I had to wonder, like, why would I not want my kid to maybe take one small step that can make them safer? So, you know, DeSantis is worried about the anti-vaxxers. Can I talk about the perverse phenomenon that is here? So you'll hear DeSantis talk about how he kept Florida free, like, you know, the free state of Florida. But what really happened, Reed, here is that it was the local officials who still required mask wearing, who shut down beaches, who did everything that they could do. And so the perverse thing here is you're going to have these schools institute mask wearing. And fortunately, not as many children will now be sick or will die. But because of that, DeSantis, to the end of September, will say, we are past this you know, fourth surge that we have gone through. And so because Disney will have done what they are doing right now, all of this, it is a backstop to DeSantis's very bad decision making. So all these other people doing the responsible thing, it allows DeSantis to say, hey, I told you so. Like right now, he talks constantly about how he made the right decision to get schools back open. He was the person who shut the schools down in the first place. And so everybody else is being responsible here at the local, the school, and the corporate level, and even at the individual level, like the individual Floridian level. The only person that really isn't being responsible or making a hard decision is Ron DeSantis. Well, and he is probably Republican prime right now. He is taking what Trump learned about not caring about governance and not being willing or able to deal with it and finding, at the moment anyway, not a lot of consequence for himself and that was one thing that Mary Trump, Donald Trump's niece, told us, which is for Trump, until and unless he was personally and physically in danger, he didn't really care because to him, he is protected by men and women who, you know, vow to lay down their lives for him and will be for the rest of his life. I don't know that DeSantis is quite that far down that narcissistic rabbit hole, but I assume he rides around in, you know, big cars with guys with guns and, you know, his literal body is safe most of the time. And so, like to him, this is all, it's not hypothetical, but it's conceptual. He's not living through it. I'll give you another example of how he's not living through it. I wanted to do a story about the governor, what he was doing for his oldest child's first year of school. I had heard he had toured the two best private schools in Tallahassee. And it became kind of a Mark Leibovich, this town story about the 
internal politics of these two schools in Tallahassee. The DeSantis kid never showed up on the first day of school. Everybody thought the DeSantis kid was coming. At the last minute, there was an implementation of a mask mandate. The youngest child did not show up for the first day of school. I don't have it for certain. I've been told that he is homeschooling that first child. And I want you to think that through. He is homeschooling his child rather than put them in a school because he believes that masks are so bad for children. He is owning the libs because remember, this is a guy who has made his entire education platform in-person education is so critically important. It's something he speaks about all the time. And yet he is doing the reverse of that right now with his own family. The psychology of this man is bizarre. It is bizarre that he has decided to not send his child to school because he'd rather them not wear a mask than get the in-person instruction that he says is so important. Well, I mean, I can tell you this. Some other folks might leave Mr. DeSantis alone, but we will not. So, um, <laughs> uh, so Governor, we'll see you soon. Peter, tell us where our folks can find you online and a little bit about Florida politics. I appreciate that. I publish FloridaPolitics.com. You literally just Google search Florida politics and you'll find us. We've got over a dozen reporters. We probably have now the largest political reporting footprint in Florida with you know all the cutbacks to other legacy outlets. So you can find me there. At Peter Shorsh FL is my Twitter handle. I'm at 32,000 followers, but not verified yet. I don't have a blue check mark. So I am not a blue anon, as Christina Pashaw likes to call me. And then if you really love Florida politics, we put out a huge morning tout sheet that four or five of us work on. It's absolutely worth your while, folks. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, that's called Sunburn, and you can sign up for that. You know, there's just so many storylines. We have such an interesting congressional delegation. We have so many competitive local elections, so many crazy figures like Gates, et cetera. I mean, we've got a congressional race in my backyard where they're still doing depositions about one person that was going to have a Ukrainian and Russian hitman come and kill her, Anna Polina Luna. I mean, that's a true story. And yet it's probably not even the 10th most interesting story of the last month. Well, we didn't get to the secret wedding of Matt Gates either, but we'll do that next time. <laughs> the Catalina wine mixer. I can't believe he right. got married know. at I Catalina. Know. <laughs> you know what? It's interesting you say that because they said it was in California, and I was trying to figure out from the picture where the hell they were. But now, yes, Peter, you're absolutely right. It was Catalina now that I look at it. Um, and Rick, where can we find you online? The Rick Wilson on Twitter. I am not there as much as I used to be, but I'm there enough to cause trouble. Well, amen to that. As always, folks, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen. Peter, I want to thank you for making time for us. Rick, as always, thanks for joining me. And gang, we will see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. 
All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode.